The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody shout out, it's paid in full. Say, all my debts, all my bills, all my sickness, all my relationships, my whole life, it's paid in full. Jesus has redeemed me. Amen. Praise God. Can we have the Lord of praise tonight? Amen, amen. Ladies and gentlemen, I feel so strongly that God's going to touch people tonight. There's going to be clarity. I believe there's a now word for you. I believe God's going to begin to unlock some things of revelatory significance in your heart. It's a good night. Praise God. Well, I want you to high-five somebody next to you. Let's jump into this and say, I'm getting what God has for me. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Boy, that was great worship tonight. Man, oh, man. You know, you know you're in a house of freedom uh, with the pastor and the, the, the pastor's wife, the apostle, I should say, and God just begins to break things forward when you have that kind of liberty and leadership. It's powerful. It's powerful when you have real leadership that wants to do the will of God more than they want to do anything else. And I'll tell you, you have that here. And so again tonight, I'm so privileged to be here. My name is Joseph Z. I'm thankful to Pastor Tafara and Pastor Chipo for having us here tonight. And we're just thrilled to be here. Did you know that your pastors are actually apostles? They're actually apostles. Now people say, well, what does that mean? Are they missionaries? No. Tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about apostles and prophets. And the reason that they need to be raised up properly in the church. Praise God. I think all of us have had all the weird we can handle in the body of Christ. Some of you are like, well, I could use a little more weird. It'd be fine. A... No, I'm telling you, God wants to raise up real five-fold ministry with real authority. We have the best message on the planet. Amen? You have the best message on the planet, Jesus Christ, the complete gospel, the finished works of Jesus. It is done and finished by grace and through faith, right? We realize it's finished. We're grace people. We have the best message on the planet. But here's what we're lacking in some areas in the church, just some areas. We're lacking the structure to literally take over the world by the preaching of the gospel. So we have the message, amen? How many of you know you're righteous in Jesus? You're as holy as you're ever going to get in Jesus. Okay, a lot of people say, I'm as holy as I'm ever going to get. Yeah. In the Spirit, you're as holy, as sanctified, as pure as you're ever going to get. Jesus loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Right? But yet we know these things, but yet there's a lacking structure that needs to be in the body of Christ to go forward and begin to dominate on a global scale. And I don't mean carnal dominance. I don't mean worldly dominance. I'm talking about the gospel that preaches the world till it literally brings the world to its knees, takes over the world. And that's what Paul's job was, to preach the gospel. 
to preach the gospel. So we're going to jump into this. Let's go, if we could, to our Bibles, because we're going to minister tonight. We're going to prophesy, but first I want to give some uh, instruction. You know, it's important that you get good teaching, and you have good teaching in this church. Now listen, the highest form of deliverance, the highest form of deliverance any person can get in their mind, in their emotions, is ongoing good teaching. Somebody can come and prophesy, change your life in a moment, it's good, but you will maintain what you have obtained through that revelation moment if you go to good teaching and you stay under good teaching. That's why the local church, this church, is so vital. Praise God. Anybody that says the local church is not important, they're literally out of order. Amen. Don't shout me down tonight. I'm preaching good already. Praise God. So we're going to get into some things, and I think it's going to help you. This is Wednesday night, so we're going to be a little bit more teaching tonight, and we're going to get into the Word of God, and then also we'll be ministering at the end. It's going to be powerful. I feel the Spirit of God for you guys tonight. I am very stirred up. I'm trying to keep myself calm. I just got to see some lions today. Man, I I haven't pet a lion before. It was awesome. Maybe I did once when I was a little kid somewhere. I can't remember, but I, I got to pet lions today. That was pretty cool. Wasn't that great? Rawr. It was awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Mufasa. So, thank you, Father. <laughs> Come on, say it again. Mufalu. Mufasa. We're here to terrorize the darkness. That's what Jesus is like, man. When demons see that, they see that life on you. They are terrified of, of what's inside you. So let's go, if we could, to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's go here. I have a whole teaching series called Spiritual Warfare That Works. If you've never heard that before, you should check that out. Um, I teach it on Facebook sometimes, and I've taught it for a few years now, spiritual warfare that works. And the beauty of that teaching is it begins to talk about what spiritual warfare really is and what it isn't. You know, a lot of people think we're fighting all these powers and they're winning and all that, and I break it down simply. And uh, let me give you a snapshot of that in Ephesians 2, verse 2. Let me just say this to you very quickly. In what it says here in verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the air. Everybody ever heard that scripture and you thought that meant the devil's up in the sky? Anybody ever wondered what that means, the prince of the power of the air? Yeah, you think it means way up there in the sky. Actually, the Greek word for air there is A-E-R. It's the Greek word A-E-R, and it represents the lower, denser regions of air. It's not talking about the high up air, because if that's the case, we should climb high radio towers, and people used to do this in the 80s and 90s. Uh, they would, they would uh, charter jets and do things and fly around cities and scream in tongues until they kicked out the devil out of their city, and really all, all I think they did is get tired, because the devil's not up there. What does he have up there? There's nothing up there for him. The prince of the power of the air is talking about not the higher thinner air where nothing is. It's talking about the lower, denser regions of air that are actually, when you look into some of these contexts, about six feet off the ground, relatively speaking, or it's relative to where the human mind is. And it's talking about the prince of the power of your thought life, or the prince of the power of influence and fiery darts of the enemy. It's talking about prince of the power of the airspace that is persuasion of our thoughts. You know, the devil can't control your thoughts, but he can give persuasion to your thoughts. And if you can control the war of your mind, you can win spiritual warfare. Isn't that powerful? So it's not talking in the Greek about some celestial place up there in the, in the heavens, the prince of the power of the air. The devil's not up there like a dragon flying through the sky. 
right? He's not doing that. He's not up there drifting around. He literally is, is, is influencing nations and trying to influence people through thoughts. And that's why God sends me to leaders, because if you can touch a leader, you can touch the people. Praise God. People are like, we got to preach to the people. If you want to reach the people, reach the leaders. Reach the leaders. That's why people partner with our ministry. That's why people stand with us. That's why you partner with Pastor Tafara and this awesome church is because they're going to touch leaders through media. It's amazing. And so anyway, I want to give you that snapshot. If you want to check out that teaching called Spiritual Warfare That Works, there's a lot to check out there. Let's jump, if we could, here. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20. Ephesians 2 verse 20. It says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It says we're the household of God in verse 19. But it says we've been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Verse 21. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Now without going too deep into these scriptures, I want to say something very clear. Over and over again in the New Testament, you see two titles given to people and how they function. You see the apostle and the prophet. The apostle and the prophet. Now, in, in this era we live in, everybody knows about pastors, right? If you say that person's a pastor, that's socially acceptable to say somebody's a pastor, amen? Right? But did you know pastors are rarely ever even mentioned in the New Testament? This is going to get your attention tonight. Hang on. Pastors are rarely mentioned in the New Testament. That doesn't mean that they're diminished or they're, they're not active or any of these things. But I believe some of the structure of how the New Testament church is supposed to function has been lost because of not knowing what to do with right governmental authority. It's important. And I love being in Africa because you guys get kingdom. You guys get what it is to be people of authority, under authority. You know how to serve. You know how to lead. You understand structure here and authority in many ways way better than we do from where we come from. There's a, there's a kingdom structural authority that God actually has in this continent that's filled with power. It's been taken advantage of, but it's filled with power. And when God begins to raise this up and you understand true kingdom operation, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And we're going to be able to take the gospel we know so well around the world. So when we're talking about this, we realize that it, the church foundation is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. Now, when you recognize this, you realize something about it. People say, well, that's the original 12, and they were done. Well, the truth is, the original 12 were all apostles. They were all apostles. But you realize the ongoing flow is that there's apostles and prophets continuing to build the body of Christ. It's their job. And there's many people that have to put on the, the cloak of a pastor that are actually an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher. Now, I'm going to break this down just for a moment because this is going to really help you tonight. Apostles cannot fully do their job without a prophet. Prophets cannot fully step into their full potential or clarity without a really godly apostle. Everybody hanging in here with me so far? 
And this is a New Testament model that Jesus put into order. Now, I'm going to give you the example when you begin to recognize this. A lot of people think prophets are these people that are really intense, and they're going to come and point their bony finger at you. They might be bald, but they they point their bony finger at you, and they're like, you know, they, they begin to tell you all the sins in your life. They begin to tear things apart in your life. And I've been around that kind of gift before. I've seen gifts that operate where literally someone stood in a meeting and the gift was accurate and the prophet would look at people and say, "Uh, you're a pastor. And they'd say, yes, I am. And they'd say, and you're in an inappropriate relationship. And they'd go, um, and and their wife is with them. And then they'd say, and it's with this woman right here. How many know that gets your attention? (laughs) And I I was like, oh, Jesus, you know. (laughs) And and the truth is, how many of you know the, the prophet was accurate? He was actually accurate. But you know what it did not do? It didn't edify them, and it didn't edify that body. So what happened is, is they used their gift like a weapon for their own selfish ability or their own understanding of how God is as opposed to what God's really forged it for. The reason he's formed and forged out a weapon to be used in the body, such as apostles and prophets, is to bring life to the body. And yes, there's times you rebuke and correct, but not all the time. You've got to be full of love. And listen to me, prophets should be moving in the fruits of the Spirit even more than the gifts of the Spirit. Right? Come on. This is good preaching. Now, I'm going to give you steak tonight. If you're looking for Twinkies and donuts, this is not the place. Okay? You're going to get steak. I am a steak dispensing teacher, all right? So you're going to get some real steak. You're going to sink your teeth into it and go, man, I am full tonight. Praise God. You're going to get something out of this that's going to help you. Prophets and many times people that seek encounters are literally, you miss the target of the purpose of why God sent these gifts into the world. Now, a gift can be used no matter what. How many of you know gifts are gifts? And you can use a gift for however you choose. I'm going to break this down. Some of you will be like, no, that's not true. Oh, yes, it is. Watch this. There's people literally that have a singing gift. Now, did somebody get a singing gift? And maybe some there's unique occasions where these kind of things happen. But people usually get their singing gift from birth. Right? They have a singing gift. They get older. And one day they decide... Am I going to sing for God or am I going to go sing in a club or in a bar or something like that? How many of you know you can use a beautiful singing gift like we had here tonight? You can use it either for God or you can use it for the world. Right? Does the gift change? No, it's still a gift. You can abuse it. You can, you know, have damage done to it, but the gift remains the same. And the truth of the matter is spiritual gifts sometimes are the same way. There's two different understandings with the prophetic. One, you begin to recognize sometimes people are born with a prophetic gift, and other times they grow into it. It says in in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we should desire spiritual gifts, but especially that we may prophesy. There's a place of desiring a gift of prophecy that you can grow into. Now, there's other forms of prophecy that many people are just born with. Now, the ones that are born with it have a more potent understanding of it, but they also take it for granted because they're always experiencing it. Okay? So, for an example, when I was a young kid, I began to hear my voice shouted over the treetops. God calling my name, all these things, and I didn't know what it was. I also had voices of darkness talking to me when I was a kid. 
and I had to differentiate between the two because sometimes when you're gifted and you have raw gifting in you, it doesn't mean you have character. It doesn't mean that you're in the gospel. You can have the right gift. Listen to me. You can have the right gift empowered with the wrong message. Okay? And the wrong message, your gift, this is the scary part, the gift will still work. Amen. I can't tell you how many psychics I go minister to. They're like, I used to be in the church. And then I ran out here because the church, you know, they don't get it. They don't get this. And, and a little bit, you know, the church is at fault and they're at fault. But the truth of the matter is we need clear-eyed, clear-minded people that know what they're talking about and be able to confront that kind of stuff with a heart of love and the gospel, but then also have the gifting to draw them out of where they are. Do you think that Elijah, if he confronted the 450 prophets of Baal and he didn't have the gift of God in him or the word of God in him, do you think he'd have been able to do that? No, but he also had the right message. He knew he was sent from God, okay? Everybody with me so far? So if we're going to make a dent on this earth, we have to not only know the fact that we have the complete gospel, the finished works of Jesus, the gospel that works, the gospel of grace and peace working through us, but then we need the organizational structure of five-fold ministry rightly aligned, putting gifts in right operation so we can live, move, and have our being. And then you will not be tossed around by every wind of doctrine. If somebody comes along, do you know how many people in the church would be deceived if somebody came along and began to just do some miraculous thing? They'd be like, oh, surely that's God. Surely that's God. They could preach all the most garbage doctrine you've ever heard and then do a miracle. And then people would be like, oh, that was God, obviously, because there's a miracle. Now, I like miracles. I function in miracles. I function in uh, words from God and all that. But at the end of the day, you must, must, must always stay in the gospel. Any prophet, we elevate people because of strong word of knowledge, where you can tell people secrets of their heart, which is wonderful. We elevate that, but that doesn't mean they're a prophet. And, they, and any prophet that doesn't lead with the gospel, I'd kind of like to call him a false prophet. As a matter of fact, why don't we? Is that okay? Come on, Jesus. If, you know, if Paul the apostle were he he'd call it a false prophet. Yeah? Let me talk to you about this very quickly. We're going to get into apostles and prophets this evening. I'm going to break this down for you the best way I know how. And so let's just begin to do this. I think this will be very helpful for you tonight. When you're looking at this, this is basically a form of a Venn diagram. It's just kind of a way of measuring things and looking at things. This is not some spiritual symbol, FYI. It's not something from Star Wars. It's not what we would call a snow angel in America um, or a sand angel. I don't know what you'd call it. But anyway, you look at this and you begin to recognize something that there's three different parts in the body of Christ. You realize the church is built on the fivefold ministry, but the apostle and prophet. Then you see in Ephesians 4, 4, 11, you see the fivefold ministry, okay? We agree on that? Ephesians 4.11, we see the fivefold ministry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you begin to see the nine gifts. And then in Romans chapter 12, you begin to see the seven, excuse me, the seven gifts. I, I wrote 12 and, instead of seven. You begin to see this. These together create the 21 gift spectrum, okay? There's a 21 gift spectrum in the body. Now, there are more gifts that you can pull into this, like celibacy, that kind of stuff, you know, living single, all that. You could pull it in, which is absolutely correct. Everybody okay? Yeah. How many, anyway, I won't, no show of hands here, but you, you recognize this. 
But you realize there are gifts that are for that. And if that is your gift, God bless you. There's many more gifts. There's probably about up to 25 gifts you can pull in. But the fundamentals are 21. And the 21 fundamental gifts is what I like to stand by. And you recognize that out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, you have the five that govern the other gifts. The five even govern themselves and, and these gifts, the manifestational gifts and uh, the motivational gifts, right? And you realize the fivefold ministry governs all 21. Now, where you land in the 21 gift spectrum is maybe you have a gift of prophecy. Maybe you have a gift of helps. Maybe you're a mercy giver. Maybe you have administration abilities in your life. Wherever you fall in this 21 spectrum is where you start to find your calling and your purpose. This is so important. But without an apostle and a prophet running things the way God's ordained it to be and, and in godliness leading with the gospel, this stuff just kind of goes amok. People don't know who they are. They don't know what's happening. And nowhere in the Bible does it say pastors are supposed to be leading everything. Okay? Now listen, I think there's a lot of pastors that wear the title of pastor, just like this pastor right here, that are actually an apostle in the body of Christ. Apostles look a lot like this. They make a work where there's been no work. They create things out of nothing. They don't even know how they got there. They're just chosen. God said that to me. Ashley Teredes is an apostle. Um, when I'm around Ashley Teredes, just like I'm around Pastor Tafara, I gravitate to apostles. It's my job to make sure apostles hit their target. It's my job in the body of Christ. And a lot of people say, that's strange. No, it is not. Because apostles and prophets go together. All right? And so when you recognize this, I saw one time I was watching Ashley during praise and worship, and I'm like, God, why have you called me to this man? Why am I around Ashley Teredes? He's like, hey, Joseph, good to see you. You know, he's, 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 Ashley's amazing, okay? He did my broadcast today. He was doing my broadcast back home, and he's just like, you know, I love Joseph. And I'm like, I love you, Ashley. We got a real bromance going on, okay? And so, and the truth is, I got a bromance going on with this man of God. So, okay? But here's what you recognize, though is you, you begin to recognize something about it, that God begins to equip people and surround people with the right gifts. And I said, Lord, why am I gravitating towards this apostle, Ashley Teredes? And the Lord spoke to me, and I saw writing in the air, and the Lord said, chosen. I said, what does that mean? He said, chosen. And apostles most often are chosen, different than even prophets, different than any other fivefold ministry. They're just chosen. Look at the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. He's Saul. He's on the road to Damascus, right? He's walking the road. And all of a sudden, a light shined, and he was knocked to the ground. And you know what? He didn't do that. He wasn't seeking God. He's going down the road. And God said, I've chosen him, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Okay? So Paul has this encounter, and people say, oh, he was knocked off a horse. There is no horse in that story. Just FYI, all right? But Paul was knocked to the ground. He, he comes up as Paul, and he had to go and have one of the other gifts, one of the other 21 gift spectrum pray over him. Ananias prayed over him. The scales fell off his eyes. These, these things begin to happen, and Paul begins to launch forward into what he thought was his ministry. Now, apostles without prophets can make a big mess. Prophets without apostles make a big mess. Prophets that are raised up only by pastors are weak. Too much? Was that too much? But was it too soon? <laughs> it was like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> so here's what I'm saying about this. If you want to have real, now there's in-house prophets. You have prophets that are in-house. You have regional prophets. But if you're going to raise up a true international 
prophetic authority, someone that speaks to leaders and prophesies and stands in authority. And it's not just about the words they give, but they're also standing in the gospel. And they've managed, they've marshaled their gifts into order. And we'll talk about that more this week too, marshaling your gifts, exercising your senses, okay, where you bring it into order with the gospel. That is done when you take apostles and prophets and slam them together, okay? Hang in here with me. This, is, this involves you, okay? This is about the body of Christ. And you begin to recognize when this happens, there's an authority that is raised up on the scene because God's structure is better than our ideas. And a lot of people just want to do their ideas. And the truth is it's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. So Ephesians 4 says, apostles, prophets. It says in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, it says, first apostles, then prophets. You begin to recognize, it says in Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. No matter what list you see it in, you always see apostles and prophets together. Right? And then you see it in the life of Paul. Let me show this to you. Let me just break this down for you very quickly here, okay? The life of Paul. Paul was in a season in his life where he's seeking God, he's doing all these things, he's going after it, and you recognize that Paul had his encounter on the road to Damascus, as we just talked about. He had his encounter on the road to Damascus, and after that happened, he went to Arabia. Paul disappeared to Arabia, then to Damascus again. Then he went to Jerusalem to meet the apostles and stayed with Peter for a little while. You realize Paul began to try to discover what was going on. Then he left for Tarsus finally, and you see all of this begin to happen in Acts chapter 9. There's a whole lot that takes place in Acts chapter 9 where all this happens. In Acts chapter 9, and let's take a look at it here in verse uh, 26. Acts chapter 9, verse 26. Let's look in our Bibles very quickly. We're going to minister tonight, okay? It's going to be good, but I need to give you some foundation. Acts chapter 9, verse 26, it says in verse 26, if you're with me, say amen. Acts chapter 9, verse 26, it says, And when Paul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. Now, this is right after he had his conversion on the road. Okay? Paul was a terrorist to the church. He was. He, he terrified these guys. Okay? He's out there killing them. He actually, if you look at some of the Greek tenses, Paul was actually had a demonic bloodlust. Like, he wanted to murder the Christians and their children, anything he could do to torment these people. He felt he was doing the will of God, right? So he was literally just, he would chase them. So when they, they knew he was coming, he was terrifying to these guys, right, to the early church. So Paul's doing these things in Acts chapter 9, 26. Now we see he's on the other side of this encounter on the road. And when Paul or Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. You know, they're thinking, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, you're coming in here with broken glass and going to stab us? What are you doing? You know, you're going to, and so they didn't know what he was going to do, right? And it says they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. That's strong. Verse 27, look at this, verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Okay, listen now. And I want to really break this down. We're going to focus on Barnabas in just a moment. And it's going to help you. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him, and he had preached boldly at Damascus. This is Barnabas 
uh, declaring for Paul all these things in the name of Jesus. Verse 28, so he was with him at Jerusalem coming in and going out. Verse 29, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, that's the Greek-speaking Jews. He said, but they attempted to kill him. In verse 30, when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And I, I like this so much. Then the churches throughout all Galilee, Judea, and Samaria had peace and were edified. Let me just say this very quickly. Paul had an encounter with the Lord, okay? He's an apostle that was immature. He'd stepped out in his own wisdom, and he began to preach in the churches and everywhere else and confront people with his logic, okay? And I love this so much that at the end of all that, there was all this uproar. Things were happening. It was terrible. Paul's causing a mess. He's arguing with everything that moves, and at the end of it all, they finally said, Paul, come here, and they put him on a boat and sent him off to Tarsus, and then I love the verse after that, Pastor Tapar. It says, and the church had a time of peace. <laughs> right? Apostles, when they're out of order, create a mess. Okay? Now listen. Let's look at this very quickly. If you'll notice, and I'll just, just put this note in your mind. In Acts chapter 9, verse 27, it says, Barnabas took him and brought him to the other apostles. Notice Barnabas immediately found Paul and brought him to a destination he belonged in. Take note of that. Now look at this. We realize Paul was sometime out in the wilderness. For a few years, he had disappeared. He went out uh, to Tarsus and went to these places. Now, let's look, if we could, in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11 and verse 22. We're going to see something here. Now, remember, Barnabas is the one that brought Paul to the leaders of the church the first time, right? Acts chapter 11, verse 22. Now, look at this. It says in verse 22, the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Verse 25, then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. So here we see Barnabas one more time going after Saul. I'm going to tie this up for you. You're going to really get something out of this. Verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, let me define something for you very quickly. We realize Barnabas in the book of Acts, I believe starting out in chapter 4, remember the story where Barnabas comes in Acts chapter 4 and he sold a property and brought the gift to the church? Everybody remember that? He brought the gift to the church and people were so encouraged by it, that's why they nicknamed him the son of encouragement, Barnabas, okay? Then you also see that it's actually Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they saw what Barnabas did. So because of Barnabas and envy and jealousy and wanting to be like him, they decided they were going to sow something but keep half of it back because they were being deceitful because they wanted to be promoted the way Barnabas was. They wanted to get leadership the way Barnabas got leadership, right? So they tried to do the same thing, and wherever your doctrine falls, I think they were dropped dead, okay? How? Why? Let the reader understand. I have my own thoughts, but I'll leave it alone. Praise God. I think God was like, dun, 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 you're dead. No, I'm just, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. People are like, ah, we're grace, you know, and praise God. So you realize that, okay? So anyway, whatever happened there, and Carly and I have had a few conversations about it. <laughs> I just know this. If you mess with God's building, it says in Corinthians, 
whoever uh, destroys this building or this temple, him God will destroy. I believe that's talking about the body of Christ. And if somebody intentionally says, I'm going to destroy this covenant uh, relationship God has with his people, I think that's dangerous ground. Now, you come to your own conclusion about it. I'm not trying to give you a doctrine here, but I'll tell you what, it's dangerous ground. If you, if you intentionally decide you're going to destroy the church for your own promotion, okay? I'll tell you, it's the apple of God's eye. And if you touch somebody's pupil of their eye, I don't know. Would you like somebody putting their pinky into your eye? Okay. All right. I'll leave that with you. So we recognize this. Then it goes on from here. <laughs> it goes on from here. And we realize that Barnabas did this gift. He had, there was jealousy towards him. There was all these things. And Barnabas, first and foremost, the first time he comes on the scene, is he was a giver. He was a radical giver. Now, why am I bringing up Barnabas so much? And why does Barnabas, this radical giver who was promoted in the church, people were jealous against him, tried to come against this guy because he had a, a fresh word from God to do something that nobody had done in the church before, especially in the areas of giving and receiving. Okay, Barnabas does this. Then also you see that Barnabas is the one who first goes and gets Saul or Paul and brings him to the apostles. Then he goes away for about four to seven years, Paul does. And then Barnabas goes and gets him again and brings him back. And then they begin to go on missions together. Now, let's define Barnabas for a moment. Barnabas, his name alone, his name all by itself, it means, the, the apostles named him this, they named him the son of of encouragement, the son of encouragement. And when you recognize that he's the son of encouragement, that's good. But one other part of his name, one other part of his name is, Barnabas also means the son of the prophet. Okay? In the Greek, Barnabas's name also means the son of the prophet. And let's go forward with this. And you say, well, why would they call him the son of encouragement? And why would they, they also say he's the son of the prophet? And you can say that the purpose of this or the purpose of prophecy in the New Testament was for encouragement, edifying, and comforting out of 1 Corinthians 14. Okay? I'm throwing a lot at you. Everybody with me so far? Okay? So let's do one more backup to where Barnabas was listed as a prophet in the mix. You realize in, in Acts chapter 13, now this is great. There's a little snapshot to some insight here in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. Now remember, Barnabas went and got Paul, right? He got Saul at the time, and of course his name really is Paul. And they brought him to Antioch, okay? Now I'm saying a lot of stuff tonight, but it's going to help you, even if you go back and listen to it. Paul went to Antioch with Barnabas, and he was there for some time. And now you see him listed here in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1. It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Notice prophets is listed first. Then it goes on to say, and teachers. But if, if prophets are listed first, and I like the way the Bible lists things, because if they list things first, you should pay attention to what's first. So it says prophets first, and then you see the first person they name is who? Barnabas. So Barnabas, in my estimation, is a prophet. Barnabas, Simeon, and Lucius, Menaean, and who had been brought up in the, the, with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Look at this. So all these guys here were probably in their mid-20s. They're probably in their young to mid-20s. This is the first church council ever put together, the first group of people that was church leadership, and they're in their young 20s. And all of these names here are nicknames, by the way. If you look in the Greek, they're all nicknames, and you can study that out for yourself. But you realize this, is that you begin to see that, that 
Saul, or Paul at the time, is in this setting with a bunch of kids. So here's the most educated man in the room. He's there. He's hanging out, and these kids get up. And you know what it's like when you're educated in the Bible? Have you ever struggled with this? Anybody? Pastor Fry, I don't know if you, you, you're sitting there, and all of a sudden you're with a bunch of people that really don't know what they're talking about, but they're the new leaders in the church, and you're just like, oh. And they get up and they're like, God's given me a revelation today. And you're just like, oh, wow, that was a wild one. Maybe less caffeine, you know? And, uh, you know, <laughs> and so, yeah, and so you, you just find these wild revelations with young people in leadership. But we have to, every generation has to tolerate and grow them until they're mature, okay? And sometimes people get the microphone and it's, you know, you just don't want to, it's like I have this saying, you don't want to give a water hose to a, to a monkey, right? Because, you know, everybody's going to get wet, Amen. So that's like giving the microphone to somebody. Ah, but, ah, you, know, you don't know what's going to happen. You know? Okay, enough of that. So, now, so Paul is sitting there. He's educated under Gamaliel. He's one of the most top thinkers in the body of Christ at the time. He was educated, the Pharisee of a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. He knew everything about the Old Testament Torah and all that. And he's sitting there with these leaders. And he's just like, he must have just been like, <sighs> listening to this. But Paul had to pay his dues even with his education and be in that setting, the local church, okay? Now, from there, we see that Barnabas and Saul connected up, and they began to work together. They began to go forward, because apostles cannot fulfill their highest destiny without the office of the prophet. You also see it again and again. You see it with Paul. You see it with Judas, not Judas who betrayed Jesus. You see it with Paul and Silas. Judas and Silas were themselves prophets. Agabus was a prophet. And you begin to recognize that that's the way God began to build the foundation of the church, and it's the way the church should be built and continue growing today. Now, apostles are not like, they're not designed to lord over people. And this is the problem that a lot of people have had with it. Sometimes people teach in this apostles and prophets, and they're like, I am the apostle. I am the apostle. And they come in and they're just like, mm. right? And it's kind of like they have the I'm in love with me syndrome. I'm in love with me, you know? And they have this thing. And that's not God's best. Apostles are literally the foundation makers. They're the greatest servants. They're the foundation. They're the, 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 the very brickwork, the foundation of, of the building that's being built. That's an apostle. And prophets come along and help the construction of that thing happen. A, pro a prophet's come along and mobilize with the apostle to get things done in the body of Christ and bring people to their rallying war cry to do what they're marked to do. And from that place in true biblical structure, now I don't have all the answers for why we're not doing it right or how we should do it and how to implement it today, but I do know this. We need to begin to seek the Lord over this and begin to follow the instruction of the Holy Spirit according to the Word of God. And you begin to recognize that apostles, when they step on the scene with prophets, suddenly evangelists come in and begin winning the lost. Can you imagine if a true body of Christ was set up with people that are anointed to build things supernaturally, and then they have prophets that rally people to the war cry to get things accomplished, and they know what to do together. They know where they're going. They know what it's about. They even give prophetic words to people. But prophets are mobilizers, right? And then beyond that, the evangelist goes and wins the lost and brings them into church, begins to mobilize people and brings people into the body of Christ so they get built up so the apostle and prophet can keep building. And then the pastor begins to shepherd them. The pastor begins to love them and says, stay with me. 
I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to take care of you. And we're going to build this body so you're healthy and nourished on the word. And the teacher comes along and makes sense of it all for the common listener. Teachers take complicated things and make it simple. That's how it works. That's how it works. Listen to me. Hold up your hand like this. Five-fold ministry, right? We realize this. This represents the teacher, this little finger, right? Everybody ever heard this before? The little finger represents the teacher? Because it gets in your ear, amen, right? Then you recognize this. The next one represents what? The pastor, because I believe it's married to the church, right? Then you recognize the evangelist. It's the longest reach of all of them. It's the longest, farthest reaching uh, uh, digit, right? Then you see this one, and this is the prophet, because the prophet points the way, right? Then you have the apostle. The apostle. The apostle is the strongest digit on the hand, but notice it's the only one that can touch all of the others with ease, right? The apostle can do the gifting of all the other gifts, right? But you also see that the apostle and the prophet, they're the ones that go together the easiest. They're the closest, right? This is something you need to consider because God wants to raise this up. Now, you can begin to run away with some goofy teaching with this and get all weird and governmental, you know, uh, rigid thinking with this. That's not what I'm teaching. I'm telling you, we need to begin to step into these job descriptions and start rightly aligning people. And people say, no, the, the last apostle and prophet were done away with after the New Testament was written. Well, that's funny because about 120 years after the New Testament was written and these things, there was a, a handbook that people used to use called the Didache. In church history, it was a handbook for traveling apostles and prophets, 100 years after the New Testament time. And so they'd travel, and there's this thing called the Didache. Now, it's really hard on apostles and prophets. They say, basically, don't let them stay for more than one night. Make them keep traveling. It's like, you know, just be mean to them. But it does qualify the fact that they existed after the New Testament was written. Okay? Church history clarifies that, brings clarity to it. So you see that there, and then you also recognize if the apostles or the prophets are done away with in the New Testament, then who are the two prophets in the book of Revelation that are going to stand up in the end? Personally, I think they're Moses and Elijah. Did I lose everybody? Did we, like, go way into the depths tonight? (laughs) Praise God, we're way out there, man. Some of the teachers are like, amen. Other people are like, where am I? And so... But you begin to realize this, that God wants to do this. And I believe it's Wednesday night, so it's teaching night. We want to get into some things, okay? This is the body of Christ. This is the local church. You know, this is stuff we should be teaching in the body. Listen to me. Pastors are always going to teach, our wonderful pastors here, are always going to teach your identity. They're going to teach you how to increase. They're going to teach you how to live better. But within that teaching, their pastoral teaching, they are also going to build an apostolic network. So God's called them to do. You're going to get this healthy teaching from them. My job is to come in as a prophet, come visit, and begin to put things in order, but then also uh, begin to rally the troops and then prophesy to people and stand with the apostle. Praise God. Now, when prophets come in and they're like, I am the prophet of God, and I have a word for you tonight. And they begin to, you know, do all that stuff, the inflection. I have a word for you tonight. You know, they get down there and they even add a little breathing to it. <laughs> right? I have a word. <laughs> you know, to, for you <laughs> tonight. <laughs> you know, you get on that. That's, that's not prophetic. It's just you, you know. I mean, 
the truth of the matter is, is God will work with our personalities, okay? You guys are putting up with my personality right now. But God, God works with our personalities. But that's not what makes you prophetic. might make you a little weird, but it doesn't make you prophetic. What makes somebody in the true office of the prophet is responsibility for a segment of the body of Christ and a responsibility to help real apostles build the body. Period. Period. And do they minister and encourage everyone? Yes, every fivefold minister is called to encourage the body. We're all servants of the body. We're not high above that. We serve the body. But I got to tell you, when you get right governmental order in place, the church will become the number one superpower on the planet. So we have the right message, but some of the wrong structure right now. And honestly, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how to fix that. I don't know how to fix it, but all I know is we got to keep preaching the word and believe that the Holy Ghost will begin to rightly align it. There's pastors that I work with, they're doing the best they know to do, and I love pastors. I love the local church. I serve the local church. It's what we should be doing. So in no way am I trying to say, oh, pastors don't do this, pastors don't do that. Pastors are amazing. They've had to pick up where a lot of apostles have not picked up their mantle. A lot of pastors have had to stand up when apostles and prophets haven't been doing their job. Amen? So I'm not talking down to pastors. I am applauding pastors. Amen? Praise God. And you begin to recognize this, and this stuff's real. And if you say, no, it's not, well, then tear that page of the Bible out and just get rid of it. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, and so, so we've got to start to understand some of these things. Now, we realize this. When you see a real prophet, it's where they come alongside of someone, and that's that Greek word paraklesis, or like where we get paraclete, and you begin to recognize that. God wants you to begin to understand how fivefold ministry operates, and this is so vital and so important if we're going to be everything we're called and marked to be. God wants you to live, move, and have your being. Should we jump into some more prophetic stuff tonight? Would you like that? Let's get a hold of that just a little bit. We talked yesterday about mature believers. Let me say something about this too. Listen to this statement I'm going to make. Metaphors, listen now. Metaphors reign where mysteries reside. Okay, let's say it again. Metaphors reign where mysteries reside. What does that mean? It means when the body of Christ or anyone doesn't understand something, they give a fancy name to it or they relegate it with sarcasm. Okay? If you don't fully understand a different gifting or one of the 21 gifts, if you don't understand somebody's gifting, a lot of times the go-to is to make fun of them in the body of Christ. You know how many pastors make fun of prophets? And some of them really deserve it. <laughs> they really do. I mean, they do. But do you know how many you know, prophets, they get rebellious because they feel like they're misunderstood? metaphors or, you know, reign where mysteries reside. In other words, when you don't understand something, you kind of poke at it and you don't know what to do with it. But education or information brings peace and you start bringing accuracy to things. And I believe we're in the age of accuracy in the body of Christ. If you want to stand in authority, you know who you are, you know your mission, and you know the structure you stand in. That gives you authority. It's true. That's why the government, that's why military can stand in authority. They know the uniform they wear, they know where they stand, and they know what rank they are. And they're all doing the same mission. Right? That's why police officers, they know who's backing them up. At the end of the day, they got the whole, uh, situa the whole state backing them up. Right? 
It's a powerful thing. And when you begin to realize this, on the fundamental level of the believer, you are called by God as a, as a courier and carrier of God's presence. You are literally a little Christ. You're, a, you're, just, you're just like Jesus. You can touch any one of the gifts whenever it's needed because you have the same Holy Ghost. But there are assigned graces to people to do things other people are not assigned to do. Paul said it. He said it in Romans chapter 12. By the grace given to me, I say to you. And Paul even said, I'm an apostle, to, not to them, but I am to you. Right? So when you start to understand these things, it brings order into the body. And this is where authority comes from. So what am I saying? The message we have is the best message on the planet. It's the best. It sets people free. But there's a lot of people set free that are wandering in circles. It's like the U2 song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? You found Jesus. You got the answer on the inside. But there's people walking around directionless. They don't know what they're about. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what's happening. And they're like, oh, what's going on? So here's what God showed me. God said 2020 and 2020 to 2030 will be the best 10, and it's going to be a year of tribal alignment. When you find your tribe, you find your people. When you find your tribe, you find your purpose. When you find your purpose, you find your destiny. Some people are in the wrong tribe. Do you know how you know when you're in the wrong tribe? Just This is how you know. You can't say the right thing to the wrong people. You can never say the wrong thing to the right people. That was pretty deep. Some of you are like, huh. No, you really can't. You can't say the wrong thing to the right people because they love you and they seek to understand you, not judge you. That's your tribe. Some of you need to go from where you're being tolerated and go to where you're celebrated. Praise God. And some of you are out of time, you're out of sync, and you need to get in right alignment. That's why I'm teaching this, is because when you get the proper, proper governmental order in place, people begin to know where they are. You begin to lose that insecurity of, uh, what am I doing? Where am I at? Is, did God really say? Did God call me? What's really happening in my life? But the reason that happens is because the church is fractured and out of order, so people don't know where they're going. They might know who they are, so they have peace. And think about how many people today are saying, oh, just have peace in the storm. Have peace in the difficulty. Just remain in peace. Oh, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. How about if we make it better tonight by the Word of God? I don't come to meetings to come to meetings and say, my goodness, that was a nice meeting, and leave with the same problems I came in with. I want results. Praise God. And when you get results, it's based on from a fundamental level in the body of Christ that there is governmental order that puts the 21 gifts in order, and then you begin to know what you're doing, when you're doing it, where you're going, and how these things unfold. And that begins when you get under apostolic authority, you get under prophetic authority, you have a good pastor, and things begin to happen. My pastor is Lawson Purdue. Anybody ever seen Pastor Lawson Purdue? That man will preach so hard sometimes he'll spit out his teeth. Okay, like he'll come at it. He's like, you know, God says it, and then he's like, and then he freezes for a moment. No, you're just like, oh, he's overwhelming. I love him too much. Okay, and so he's there. And sometimes, like, he was preaching at Abundant Life with Ashley Carly. One time he's preaching, and his teeth popped out, and he popped them back in. You know, but I really, I feel like, like an anointing. I searched for years. Listen to me, okay? Listen to me. 
a lot of people invited me to go to churches, to go to different things, and I was seeking the Lord for a number of years. Like I said before, I was in the mountains for about four years, doing very little ministry here and there. I thought maybe I should go into business. I should do these things. And the Lord said, just be still and know I'm God. And I began to trust the Lord. And I sought the Lord, and the Lord led me to Karis Christian Center. Ashley called me one day and said, Joseph, I want you to go on TV with me. And I said, okay. He said, first we're going to have Andrew Womack, then we're going to have you. Same day. And I was like, I'm in. And so I came there. We did that. And after the television program, he said, now come with me to church tomorrow. I said, okay. Went to church that next day. And the moment I shook Pastor Lawson's hand, the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to meet your new pastor. And I was like, oh, okay. And the Lord then showed me, and he's an apostle. And I didn't know anything about him. And I began to look into it. And Pastor Lawson goes and buys people church buildings. He helps people do things. He's got a spirit of wealth on him, self-made millionaire by the hand of God. He does all these things, and he begins to do all this stuff, and he helps people establish, but he raises up churches, he plants churches, he creates things, and people are just blooming everywhere. That's not just pastoral, that's apostolic. And many, many pastors that are building big things are truly apostles misidentified as pastor. And I'm not trying to get into semantics over it, but we do need to get this rightly identified so we can win together, right? And so God put me with two apostles in Colorado, Lawson Purdue and Ashley Terradez, all right? Now, what I'm saying is, is when you begin to get into order and you find your tribe and you find your lane, that's where your increase is. The moment I did that, my ministry tripled. It tripled. It went from what it was, and it tripled in finance. It tripled in partners. It tripled in reach. It tripled in media, and it just took off. And I'm telling you, you've got to rightly align with your tribe. And when you do this, you'll begin to win. Now, this year, if you're in this church, this is your tribe. And maybe what we need to do is you say, well, I'm, I'm hanging out. What's happening? Well, you need to serve. You need to get a hold. You need to say, Pastor Tafara, can I wash your car for you? Was that a resounding amen in the house? Amen. Can I tell you my first job in ministry? It was cleaning bathrooms. Scrubbing toilets, baby. Come on. I was doing that, and I would even fold the toilet paper into little perfect points, just like you're at a hotel. Right? Isn't that great? I would do that. I'd scrub it. People would be like, you're a prophet. Yep, who learned it in the toilet, you know? And, um, but I, I began to clean the bathrooms. I began to do these things. I began to do that, and I began to say, God, I want to bless leaders around me. I want to stand with leaders. If you want to go forward in ministry, and you want to find out what your 21 gift spectrum is, you start out by serving. Now, I can get into this more later. I'm not going to go into it tonight, but I could do a whole teaching on it. But let me just say this to you. If you want to know what your revelation is, you want to understand where you fit here, the, the key to this is serving. You start serving, you're going to find out real quick where you are. Because the pastor will call you out. Prophets will call you out. The apostle will line you out. Uh, real, real pastors and teachers, they'll begin to recognize things with you. And your gift will manifest. No serving, no revelation. Come on. You guys should be crawling over each other to serve the leaders here. Some of you do, man. There's good leaders. There's good servants in this church, man. You guys are awesome. But, you know, when you begin to do that, God begins to raise it up, and he begins to do it. So people say, well, how do I find my 21 gift spectrum? Do I take tests? Do I take online tests? Do I do this? No. Serve. Serve, read the word, speak in tongues, and serve some more. 
Serve, read the word, speak in tongues, and do it again. That's how it works. When Pastor Tafar is preaching his awesome messages, like I just heard this last Sunday, you should be going, come on, Pastor! Say it again, Pastor! Come on! They ain't listening, Pastor, right? <laughs> they ain't here this morning, Pastor. No. There's a guy in our church that does that. We're just like, yeah, he's awesome. Now, listen, you got to recognize this. God wants you to win. Are you guys getting something out of this tonight? This will really help you. It's powerful. Praise God. Another way that you begin to find this is you start giving like you've never given before. People are like, I don't know if I like that. Well, I didn't ask you. And I'm only here this week. Praise God. Like I said, Pastor Tafara will fix it. Uh, but we recognize this, is that if you want to go forward, I'm telling you, if you want to go forward, God will bless you abundantly above all you can ask or think, superfluously overflow you to the level that you can give and sow into the kingdom. And there's a lot of people tiptoeing about this. I'd rather strut. Because the truth of the matter is God wants to increase you. And real biblical structure should mean the body of Christ should be the number one financial superpower in the world. We should be the most clear-eyed, clear-minded, knowing what we're doing people in the world. We should be rightly aligned in our tribes. And it all begins with the apostle and the prophet. It's true. It is good teaching. Thank you, Chipo. Praise God. And thank you for those two amens. That was awesome. Praise God. So this is great. So I just want to say to you tonight, that's what God's saying to you, that we got to get the apostle and prophet. And I could teach in this for another two hours and really break it down in the New Testament and show you more things. But I want to say something to you. The reason there's an identity crisis in the body of Christ is, number one, the gospel's not being preached correctly, but we're starting to see that change. The gospel's being preached. Grace is getting out, right? Grace and faith. Okay, that's one thing. But then secondly, once you have grace and faith, there's also a governmental structure that has been convoluted. It's not been in order. And those two things put together is the foundation of how we begin to get to this. And the way you discover that, I believe the answer is serve, serve, serve in your body until you begin to discover which belongs to you. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today. <laughs>